All right, all right, man. Let me welcome everybody at all of our campuses today, whether you are at East or Effingham or downtown or Midway or Statesboro or here in the room at Henderson or on the web, man, we're glad to have you join us for this worship time today. Man, we're still kind of, you know, thanking the Lord for what happened last weekend when we had 25 services from Wednesday through Sunday. Uh, I had a brand new service down at Hinesville for Easter. I had 150 people show up for that the first time out, which was awesome. We had almost 14,000 people worship with us last uh, week for Easter. We had people sitting everywhere. It was crazy, man, I'm telling you. Uh, but we had a ton of baptisms. God was glorified. Jesus was lifted up. People were drawn to him. And Compassion Christians boldly parked where no man has ever parked before to make room for newcomers. So let's thank God for all the good things that happened over Easter last weekend, man. It was awesome. Now, today we're going to start a new series of messages on marriage and family that we're calling Same Page. It's about relationships, because if you want a great marriage, great family, great friendships, great relationships, you've got to get on the same page about certain things. And the more you're on the same page, the more blessed your relationships are going to be. Now, I'm really excited about what we're going to do next weekend, because I'm going to interview the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins, on Wednesday and Sunday he and his wife, Julie, will be here on the stage for our services on Sunday. Now, Kirk is just a great guy, double strong follower of Jesus in an environment where it's not easy to be a follower of Jesus, playing at the highest levels of the NFL. And I think you're going to love Kirk and Julie. They're awesome. Now, uh, in addition to Kirk coming to speak to us about relationships, we've invited every football team, every football coach, every football player, college and high school in our region to come and then after the 11 o'clock service, we're going to get, give them a chance to visit with Kirk a little bit. Let him talk about, you know, bringing your faith to sports and all of that. Uh, he's going to be at the Henderson campus. And then the turnaround king, Coach Chad Lunsford out of Georgia Southern, who is a compassion Christian. He's going to be speaking to the football players out of Georgia Southern after the 11 o'clock service. So this is going to be a super special opportunity to invite your friends and worship, to come and worship with you and hear Kirk and Chad, and uh, I think they're going to they're gonna love it. Now, next week, if we have a 1,000 football players show up at the 11 o'clock service, if you see somebody who looks like they're either on steroids or they're eating about 10,000 calories a day, welcome them, all right? Welcome them. We're, we're hoping literally we'll reach 1,000 football players next weekend, and if you always wanted to try our 9 o'clock service, this, that might be a good, way, a good weekend to do it. Now, this weekend, though, I want to talk about step one in building a great marriage and family. And so I want to talk to all the single people here today about how to pick somebody who is on the same page to, to start your family with. Now, when Sarah and I were in Poland a few years ago, we met a, a lady who told us that there is a city in Europe where they actually have department stores for single women to be able to pick out exactly the husband they want and just buy them right there. Now, the store entrance, at the store entrance, there's a, a sign kind of outlining the, the store policy. Uh, first rule is you can only enter the store once in your lifetime. Uh, second rule is there are six floors, and on each floor you can pick a husband or elect to go to the next floor, uh, hoping for a better deal. But you can only visit each floor one time, uh, and then you have to leave the building. So the woman goes to the first floor, and it, she sees a sign that says men with jobs and a bunch of guys in there. And so she's thinking, man, that's good. That's a good sign. But then she goes up the escalator to the second floor and it says, men with jobs who adore children. And she's like, oh, this is getting even better. So she goes up to the third floor, wealthy men who adore children and are very handsome. And she's like, man, this is getting really, really good. So she goes on to the fourth floor and it says, wealthy men who adore children and are very handsome and love to help with household chores. 
And she's thinking, this is getting better and better. So she goes up to the fifth floor and it says, wealthy men who adore children are very handsome, help with household chores, and are very romantic. And she's about to make her pick when she just can't resist the temptation to go up to the sixth floor and see what the last option is. And so she goes up to the sixth floor and there's a sign that says, you are visitor number 31,456,012 on this floor. There are no men here. <clears throat> this floor only exists as proof that it is impossible to please some women. <laughs> now, I understand that across the street there's another store where men can pick a wife. And the, floor on the, the sign on the first floor says, women who are great cooks. And on the second floor, the sign says, beautiful women who are great cooks. The third floor sign says, beautiful women who are great cooks and love sex. And no man has ever gone to the fourth floor. <laughs> now, it would be, it would be nice. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, hear, I hear, you know, clapping on one side, guns cocking on the other. I, I, I get it. All right. Man, it would be nice if finding somebody on the same page was that simple. But we all know it's not. Now, this first message is directed specifically to single people who are not yet married. Now, if you are married, this message will help you too, especially if you have children or friends who are not married who will need somebody to teach them how important it is to pick a partner who is on the same page. So if you're a parent or you're a mentor, man, this will really help you. Because we live in a culture, you know, where everybody believes opposites attract and that just spices up life and it's awesome. And it does right until it drives you stark raving mad, all right? Because marriage is just so much easier if you marry somebody that you're on the same page with, at least on the important things. Now, if you're single, all the other messages in this series will help you develop the values and the relational skills that will enhance your life, whether you ever choose to marry or not. And you do not have to choose to marry. Being single is a noble way of life. Jesus did it. The Apostle Paul did it. Uh, it's a noble way. But if you marry, uh, what you're going to learn over this next couple of weeks will help you. Now, this message is specifically, though, about finding a partner who's on the same page. Now, there's a Christian psychologist named Neil Clark Warren, and he is actually the guy who invented eHarmony.com. And we have a lot of fam couples in our church who met over eHarmony. We have pastors on our staff who met their spouse through eHarmony.com because Dr. Warren took all that he learned from Scripture about finding somebody who is on the same page with you spiritually and emotionally and relationally, and he literally created an algorithm to help other people figure that stuff out and then match themselves up with people who have similar values. And he's written a couple of very helpful books. I think every parent... And every unmarried person in our church should read. The first is his classic, you know, Finding the Love of Your Life, 10 Principles for Choosing the Right Marriage Partner. Awesome book. He followed that up with another book entitled Date or Soulmate. How to Decide if Someone is Worth Pursuing in Two Dates or Less. Now that is a harsh but helpful statement. Amen. Because, you know, smart people realize you, you got to kiss a lot of frogs before you find that prince or princess, right? And sometimes you got on a date and it just the faster you realize this is not worth another date, uh, the, the better off you'll be. Dr. Warren says in his book, your choice of whom to marry is more crucial than everything else combined that you will ever do to make your marriage succeed. Now, I have friends in India who are in arranged marriages, and they are happy and, and love each other, and they're having a great time in a, a marriage that their parents arranged for them, and I think we ought to bring that over to the States. All the parents said? Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Single people, they go, no! 
Dating is how we do it. Dating is how we try to find a person that we think we can deeply love and marry who will deeply love us as well. And when we date, our whole goal really is to try to find somebody who's on the same page with us. So in this message, I want to share with you five principles that will guide your dating life that will help you find somebody who is spiritually and emotionally and relationally on the same page with you. All right. Now, here's the first principle, and it's the most important one. you got to date the right people. Say it with me, everybody. Big voice. Come on, y'all. Date the right people. Now, this statement implies that it is possible to date the wrong people. Anybody ever done that? Just go, mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about. Now, when I was single and I first started thinking about this dating the right person, my question was, well, what does the right person look like? Because, I mean, I've been looking for somebody with the right stuff. I just wasn't sure I was looking at the right stuff. You know what I mean? And so we're going to use this message to discover what the right person will look like. And there's one characteristic that looms far and above all the others. It's found in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now read this with me, everybody. Big voice now. Come on. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers because what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Well, all kind of piddly stuff. But on the main things, the most important things, that, that's the question. Now, this is probably the most underappreciated verse in the Bible, especially among single people, because this message is so constricting. I mean, simply put, if you're single and you're a follower of Jesus, the right person for you will be another follower of Jesus and only another follower of Jesus. Now, some people dislike this verse because it sounds like spiritual racism. You know, like Christians think they're too good to date non-Christians. On the other hand, single people hate this verse, some of them, because of the way it narrows the playing field. I mean, man, it's hard enough just to find somebody who's sane and healthy. Amen? I mean, that's hard enough. Then you narrow the field to only those who love the Lord the way you do. Bro, it takes a lot of faith to walk that walk. But that is the counsel and the command of your loving Heavenly Father for you. Now, the word yoke is a farm term that everybody would have understood back in the day. Man, when you're putting two creatures in the yoke together, you want to create synergy. Man, you want them to become a balanced, powerful team where the two of them together can do 10 times more than either one could do alone. So you don't put a graceful horse in the, donkey with a, in the yoke with a donkey. It just doesn't work. You would never put a powerful ox in the yoke with a hog. It, it just wouldn't work. And it would rob you of all that you could enjoy if you did take the time and make the effort to create a balanced, complementary relationship with somebody who's like you. Now, if you belong to Jesus, you are a son or daughter of God. And you need and deserve a marriage that will increase your joy and increase your effectiveness for Christ, not one that will make your life harder. And let me tell you, if you marry somebody who does not share your faith, Life is going to become harder for you in a lot of ways. Now, lots of us are here today who are married to an unbeliever because neither one of us were saved when we started dating and got married, and then one of us got saved and the other one didn't. Now, if that's you, man, the Bible has a whole different set of instructions for you in 1 Peter chapter 3. Man, if you're married to an unbeliever today, God wants you to love that person, build that marriage, respect that spouse, love them to Jesus if you can. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But if you're single today, and you are a follower of Jesus, let me share with you four reasons you should only date fellow believers. Number one, with another believer, you share the same treasure. 
Now, you know, Sarah and I have a lot of stuff we're interested in where I really love it, and she doesn't love it that much. I love to shoot sporting clays. Sarah loves to shoot. She's a good shot. Pity the fool who tries to break in our house when our grandkids are there. That's all I can tell you. But she's not passionate about that. I love the smell of gunpowder in the morning. She's not that way. Uh, I love sm snowboarding. <laughs> you know, she's a skier. Tried really hard to convert her. That's a hard-headed woman, all right? I love scuba diving. She likes snorkeling. She's like, I don't need all that equipment. I'm, I, I, I want to I see underwater the way God intended, you know, just without all that stuff. But you know, the truth is we don't, may not agree on all of that stuff, but if, we spend, if I spend a couple days snowboarding, you know what, at the end of that time, psh, I'm ready to do something else. If I go diving at the end of that couple of days, dude, I'm ready to go back home. I might not even think about diving again for months, but I have never reached that level of saturation in my relationship with Jesus. Friends, I, I, I can grow and learn and talk to him and experience new challenges and, and learn new principles about uh, the spiritual things every single day. Now, Sarah and I may not share the exact same love for shotguns and snowboards, but I'll tell you, her passion for Jesus is just as strong as mine. We are absolutely on the same page. We share that same first love. Consequently, we can pray together. And we do every day over meals at night. It's awesome. We can read books together. We can discuss deep truth together. We can talk about spiritual principles together. Man, we can search God's word for solutions for work issues and family issues and communication issues. Man, we worship together, serve together, learn together. Sometimes when we listen to a great Christian song on Spotify, we'll even sing together, especially if that song was written by my son. Now, this is just a treasure we share that we would not share if one of us were not a believer. Now, a few years back, we lost two babies. And let me tell you, part of the comfort of that, you know, part of the comfort that God gave us while we were grieving was the thought that we actually have five kids. We have three on earth and we have two in heaven. And I'm sure my parents, uh, my dad and my father-in-law and mother-in-law have already met those two little babies. I don't know if they're boys or girls, but... I know that when I get to heaven and a hundred years from now, there will be five Huxford kids in heaven, three that grew up on earth and two that grew up in heaven. Now, I cannot imagine what it would be like if I had to go to bed every night knowing that if I died, I'd be in heaven with those two kids and eventually my whole family, but not my wife. Now, friends, single, single friends, God is trying to spare you that pain by calling you to marry somebody who's on the same page with you, someone who shares the same treasure. Now, if you marry a believer, you can also build from the same blueprint. Man, if you're, believer, if you're both believers, you, you think this is, the, this is the blueprint. This is the owner's manual. This is how we parent. This is how we partner. This is how we manage money. This is how we manage temptation. We do it all according to the instructions from God's word, and we know it works. In addition, you can access the same strength. Man, if you're both believers, you can draw on the same power. Man, you can seek the same strength that comes through prayer and God's word and the Holy Spirit. Dude, do I have to tell you how thankful I am that when we lost those two babies, my Sarah did not comfort herself by getting high with pills or weed or drinking or in the bed of a stranger? Do I have to tell you how thankful I am that when she was diagnosed with cancer, and man, she started going through all the rigors and the stress of chemotherapy and radiation therapy and all that. How thankful she was that I didn't just shut down and lose it. I can't deal with this old stress. I'm out of here. Man, how different our lives would be if all we had access to was just human strength. 
I'm telling you, man, God's trying to do you a favor. In this life, you are going to sail into the storms. Amen? Amen. Everybody. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 28, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Truth is, everybody is going to face many troubles in this life. But if you're married and you're married to a believer, at least you can sail into those storms with a partner who has access to the same spiritual strength. In addition, if you marry a fellow believer, you can live by the same values. Now, if you're single today, you do know that if you marry, you're going to have some tense conversations in the future, right? You're going to have to explain some stuff. You're going to have conversations about whether you were flirting or not. What do you mean flirting? You were flirting. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. You're going to have to explain why you spent that much money without us talking about it first. How to discipline this child. When to discipline this child. Who disciplines this child. You smoked what? Drank what? While you were out of town, you did what with who? And listen, all of those conversations are going to be about strongly held values. Now, man, when you marry somebody who believes like you do, you have common values that come from the word of God. And so when somebody gets off in the weeds, you know it. You can apologize for it, ask forgiveness and, and reconcile it. Man, you can both agree on and honor values. Wow. In a day when in our culture, at least, everything seems like it's up for grabs. Dude, can you imagine the pain of being married to somebody who not only disagreed with you on major issues, but mocked you, mocked you, undercut you in front of the kids all the time? I'm telling you, man, 2 Corinthians 6.14 is not discrimination. It is the protective love of a sovereign God. It is his practical attempt to ensure that his children will be able to enjoy the abundant life and literally max it out in marriage. So, man, God's counsel to those who are looking for somebody on the same page, first of all, dude, you got to date the right people, not the wrong people, right people, Christ-following people. Here's the second principle. Date for the right reasons. Say it with me, everybody. Date for the right reasons. Now, when I was in Bible college, my Greek professor is a guy named Dr. Jim Evans, and I love that guy. He was a great mentor for me. But he had this little phrase that he used all the time because we were all single in that class, Right? And he used to always just get every chance he could to tell us, you know, trying to keep us between the, you know, guardrails. And I bet he said dozens of times, men, don't make the mistake of falling in love with a lip or an ankle or an eyebrow and marry the whole girl. <laughs> now, you know what he's talking about, right? He's trying to say, bro, there's a lot more to marriage than sex or looks or money or feelings or whatever. When you marry, you get the whole person. Now, let me make a couple of statements about the motivation for marriage. First of all, romance is driven by what the Greeks called eros. It's romantic love. Eros is the Greek word for that physical, sexual passion. Man, it's extremely important for healthy marriages. I would never counsel anybody to choose to marry unless you have a strong, romantic, physical attraction to that person. Dude, eros is great. It's awesome. But you cannot build a lifelong marriage on eros alone. In fact, surveys say that that, you know, kind of delirious physical euphoria of eros lasts in marriage about nine months. Then it starts to cool a little bit. And when it does, there better be a foundation for your marriage that is more stable and substantial than what you look like in a bathing suit. Amen? That was weak, but I will accept it. <laughs> Relationships are driven by what the Greeks called agape. Agape is a word for unconditional love. 
Man, it's that willed love. You can focus it like a laser on one person. And you can focus it on an enemy. You can focus it on a stranger. But man, if you focus it on your spouse, boom. This is the commitment you make in your marriage vows. When you say, I will love, honor, and cherish you, Sarah, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, until death does us part. Single people. It's always better and worse. Amen? It's richer and poorer. It's sickness and in health. And you only make it till death does you part if your love is stronger and deeper and more stable than an infatuation with a body part or a hope that this person is going to satisfy you or pamper you or fulfill every little sense of entitlement or somehow make you feel better about being you. Listen, agape is what empowers us when we're on the same page. And dude, agape is a great reason to, to marry when you get finished dating, right? So I want to encourage you to date the right people and date for the right reasons. And then I want to encourage you to date at the right pace. Say it with me, everybody. Date at the right pace. Now, my father and mother-in-law, my, my father was, father-in-law was from Montana, mother-in-law was from uh, South Dakota. They met in a train station in Chicago during World War II and were married three months later. And guess how long that marriage lasted? Only 50 years, right? And you go, see? <laughs> love at first sight, right? Well, my best friend in high school fell in love with a girl when he was a junior. And I think they were sleeping together all through his senior year, got married three months after graduating from high school. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Nightmare. A lot of pain ended in pain. Now, in his book, Dr. Warren mentions three warnings that have to do with the pacing of, of marriage, dating and marriage. He says, first of all, don't marry when you're too young. Now, does anybody here know why we don't give kids steak knives on steak nights? I'm talking about a two-year-old. Does anybody here give a two-year-old a steak knife? No, because they're too young for that. How many of y'all going to let your five-year-old drive home from church? Zero. They're too young for that. Now, it's not no forever. It's just no for right now. Got to grow up a little bit first, right? Now, according to research done at Kansas State University, the divorce rate among those who marry between 21 and 22 is 100% higher than the divorce rate for those who wait till 24 or 25. In fact, many brain scientists believe that the, the average male's brain is not even fully developed until he's 24. And I know some of you ladies are thinking, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that, right? But, now, but think, think about what this means. Just by waiting a couple years, you double your chances of having a successful marriage because the more mature, mature you are personally, the more mature decisions you will make. So the principle is here, want to get grown up before you get mashed up. Amen? It's, I know this is hard, y'all. Some of y'all are thinking, I wish I'd have heard this before I got married. <laughs> and some of y'all are thinking, I can't believe he's saying this before we get married. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in the middle right here. Here's what I would also encourage you. Don't, don't get married when you're too hurried. Now, we've all heard the stories about my, like my in-laws, you know, they met, they fell in love. Three months later, they got married, still married 50 years later when dad died of a heart attack. That happens. That happens, y'all. But you know what also happens? Sometimes people jump out of an airplane with a parachute and the parachute doesn't open. And they go all the way to the ground and hit the ground and survive. But that's not the way I want to get off an airplane. Amen? I mean, that happens too. 
Listen, researchers at Kansas State University found that long-term courtships are directly related to higher levels of marital joy and short-term courtships correlate directly to higher levels of divorce and heartbreak. So let me just make a strong pastoral statement here. If you don't love the other person and honor the commitment of marriage highly enough to take adequate time to get to know each other fully and deeply, you're not mature enough to get married yet. You're not ready to get married yet. That's a no-brainer. Single people, look at me. I'm going to try to hurt your feelings so you will remember this. <laughs> if you even mention marriage before you have dated through all eight of the major holidays, you are too stinking desperate <laughs> or immature or reckless to get married. I'm talking about New Year's, Valentine's, Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Labor Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And if you're really smart, throw in Super Bowl weekend and St. Patrick's Day for good luck. All right. You got to get, listen, you learn a lot about people by watching them. You learn a lot about families by watching them through the holidays. It's dangerous to rush this. So don't get married in a hurry. Number three, don't get married when you're too eager. We all know people who felt like they just had to get married because they were reaching a certain birthday. Or to get ready to graduate from college. This is my last chance. And then they settle for. Too eager. Too eager. Or they just got a divorce. And she's with that guy she cheated with. Well, I gotta find me a woman. Too eager. Just broke up with somebody I dated for five years. I can't believe they strung me out like that. I think if I get married to somebody else, it'll help me get over the paint. Too eager. Can I just say, don't do that to yourself. I mean, look, look don't, don't go through five divorces to learn this. Over-eagerness is a clear indicator that you need to step back. You need to slow down. Desperate decisions are generally ill-advised decisions. So be smart. Date the right people. Date for the right reasons. Date at the right pace. And listen, date with the right principles. Say it with me, everybody. Date with the right principles. Now, if you're going to use dating and romance to build a great friendship, which is smart, that is a great way to determine if you have linked up with a friend that you could be the love of your life. That's awesome. Here's the danger. The danger is while you're dating, you foul the whole process up by compromising your principles. And listen, you live in a country that encourages you to do it. Everything you see on television encourages you to do it. Every fool you have on a football team or at work or whatever, we live in a dysfunctional single culture that actually believes that there is an advantage to sleeping together and living together and trying to enjoy the benefits of marriage without the commitments of marriage. I mean, educated people, yeah, actually think, well, thank, yeah, okay. We're not clapping for living together. We're clapping against living together. I right? just want to make sure. We, we got educated people sitting here right now, sitting here right now who think you can simulate the commitment of marriage by moving in together. <laughs> really? You can't believe that. I, I mean, seriously, that's a fantasy. Living together does not simulate marriage. You don't learn anything about what it would be like to be married in a long-term commitment with somebody by living together without a commitment. It's like reducing marriage to buying a pair of shoes. And if somebody ever tells you, well, you wouldn't buy a pair of shoes without trying them on first, would you? <laughs> <laughs> now, don't say anything to them 
because they're so stupid it wouldn't help. <laughs> but just in the back of your mind, think, they're too stupid to date. And run. Run. All right? Now, choosing any kind of partner is inherently risky. It's a risky thing to do. Listen, if you enter into any kind of partnership, you should carefully and prayerfully think Think that through in an undistracted way first. I mean, in a business partnership, the willingness to make a significant commitment is proof that your heart's in the deal. I mean, only a fool would believe somebody who won't make the appropriate commitment. I mean, you try this no commitment, test drive mentality in a business partnership, dude, they'll laugh you away from the table. It's the willingness to make a total commitment that makes the partnership work. Now, do you know why couples live together prior to marriage? Do you know why? If you don't, let me tell you. For men, it's free sex. That's what it is. A woman's body should be the most expensive thing on this planet. Amen? People shack up for free sex. Guys do. Uh, I'm telling you, living together gives a guy all the benefits, all the physical benefits of marriage with the least possible exposure. They're never going to admit that. And if you ask them, they'll lie about it. But it's easy to test. If you're living with somebody today, just go home and tell them, baby, I know you love me. I know you're committed to me. I know it's not about the sex. So for the next nine months, no sex. We're going to fast from sex for nine months. And if he's still there, listen. <laughs> If he's still there in four weeks and he's not getting it somewhere else, I'll be shocked. You know why women live with men? Trying to manipulate them into getting married. That's what it is. It's a manipulation toward marriage. Research is crystal clear. 70% of the women who cohabitate got marriage on the mind. So, you know, people talk in our culture like, well, I don't have to get married. What's a piece of paper? I don't have to do that. You know, like living together is some noble rejection of a cultural expectation. Please. You know, you're in the fifth grade. Listen, this is manipulation. This is using each other. That's the bad news. Here's the worst news. The statistics on people who live together before getting married are grim. Man, the Houston Chronicle did a survey years ago and reported that women who live with their man had an 80% higher chance of divorce than the ladies who didn't. 80% higher. Washington State University, not exactly an enclave of conservatism, okay? Washington State University did a study that demonstrated that women who live with men before marriage are twice as likely to battle depression, twice as likely to experience domestic abuse as those who refuse to do so. So can I just leave you with this pastoral word? If you're living with somebody and you're here today, and I know, I know there are people here today who are living together, for your sake and for God's sake and for Christ's sake, repent. I want to ask you to repent. You know what repentance means? It means I'm going this way 90 miles an hour with my hair on fire and I realize this is foolishness. This dishonors the Lord, so I'm going to stop. And I'm going to make that turn and I'm going the other direction and I'm starting today. Hey, I didn't know yesterday. I know today. I didn't see it yesterday. I see it now. From now on, I'm going to do this God's way. Please, please consider this. C consider this. Put the brakes on. Move out. Move into another residence. If you can't afford to do that, a Christian friend will probably help you. Date on if you choose to, but let the sexual thing wait 
so that your mind will be clear, your heart will be clear, so you can make a good decision before you marry. And then finally, I want to encourage you to date with the right perspective. Say it with me, everybody. Date with the right perspective. Now, friends, dating is not an expression of desperation. It's not shopping yourself. It's not trying to make something happen. The purpose of dating is to determine if you found somebody who's on the same page with you, somebody who deserves you, you know, someone that you can love and serve for the rest of their life who will love and serve you for the rest of your life. And man, wisdom requires you to give yourself plenty of time and keep your mind clear from the confusion that's caused by sex. You know, when you get in your car today to, to, to go home, there, there's a series of lights on your dashboard and they're, they're warning lights. They're awesome. I mean, if you get in the car and somebody leaves a door open, a light will start flashing on your dash. You know what that means? Stop. This is unsafe. Somebody could get hurt. Stop the car, close the door, then proceed. I mean, you're going to pass roadsides on the side of the road that say, slow down. There's a sharp curve ahead. There's a deaf kid that lives in this neighborhood. Slow down. It's a warning. Man, warning signs are for your good. If you ignore them, you're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt somebody else. Friend, if you are a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And he is going to, he's going to try to warn you off. He's doing it right now. He's doing it right now for some of you. You're hearing a message from God's word challenging this whole thing about living together and you know in your heart you need to change this. You need to change this today. Maybe, maybe the people that you love the most and you're all excited about this person and he's asking to marry them. What do you think? And they're not excited. That's a warning sign, y'all. You should pay attention to that. You should figure this thing out. Maybe your own heart is not solid. Maybe, you know, you're proceeding, but there's this doubt and there's lack of peace in your heart. And of course, we already sent the invitations out. We spent all this money. <laughs> I got a brother-in-law from New Jersey. Anybody ever been in New Jersey? Okay, you know what he's like. So anyway, yeah, yeah, that's right. So on the day, the day before we get, I'm getting married to Sarah. He said, bro, you solid on this? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm solid, man. He said, because I got my credit card right here. And I will fly you anywhere in America one way right now. We'll go to the airport, get you out of here right now. But you've got to promise not to come back for a year. <laughs> he said, because if you, listen, if you're in doubt, don't do this. This is too important. It's too big. And man, he's right about that. You know, listen, if you don't have peace, man, you're going to learn as a believer in your lifetime. When you're praying about some big decision and you don't have peace, bro, keep praying. Keep praying until you have peace. Don't make that decision if you don't have to until your heart's solid. Wise people never ignore a warning sign because they know if they do, they're going to get hurt and they're going to hurt somebody else. I remember when my son Garrett was single and we were, we were having this conversation one night about is there one person in the world that God has chosen for you to marry or could there be a number of people that you could be married and, and become one with and all that kind of stuff. And we had a long conversation about it. Here's what I told him. I said, you know, at the bottom line, I don't think there's only one person in the world that God's picked out for you. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that. But I think you should pick your spouse as if that was true. As if that was true. There's one kind of person I'm looking for, and that's the kind of person who's looking for me, and I'm not settling for less. I'd rather be single. Yeah. I'd rather be single than miserable. Because let me tell you, the most miserable people I know are not single people, y'all. I'm just telling you. So, all right. So, when your kid 
comes to you and says, Dad, how will I know if she's the right one? How will I know if he's the right one? Let me give you three things to tell your kid when they ask you that question. When they say, Dad, how will I know if, if, if uh, he's the right one? Say, first of all, baby, you need to become an expert on yourself, okay? You need to become an expert on what you believe, what your values are, what you think about stuff, what your desires are, what kind of future you want to have, and how your emotions work. Because when you, when you look for somebody to become one with, you want somebody that's going to be on the same page with you, somebody that you can become one with. Now, let's read this passage from Genesis chapter 2. Jesus quoted this in Matthew 19. This is his definition of marriage. It has not changed. It will never change. Let's read it all together. Big voice. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Everybody say one. one. That's the goal. That's the goal. Husband and wife who, who are becoming one. Now, the question you need to answer before you get married is, is this the kind of person I can be one with? I mean, what kind of personality and temperament am I drawn to? What kind of values do I really appreciate? What kind of character am I looking for? What kind of roles do I expect each of us to play in this relationship? What level of energy? What kind of work ethic, man, am I looking for? What about the spiritual commitment of this person? You need to get a real clear picture of who you're looking for, right? And then when you get that picture, yeah, but I really like blonde hair and they're a brunette. And then your best friend's gonna kick you really hard and say, you're an idiot. That girl's awesome, man, blonde, really? You know, so there's some stuff that might be on your list that are you know, on the nutty fringe and then there's the real stuff, all right? Figure out what the real stuff is. Number two, walk closely with the Lord so that God can form your heart and your character and your judgment. You know what happens sometimes? If we, get, we get in a bad spot or we get in a relationship and we start, oh, well, we started having sex or we moved in together and then we quit going to church and we quit coming to places like this. And, you know, you just distance, distance, distance yourself away from all of the protective mechanisms that God puts in your life to keep you from making a terrible decision. Stay close to the Lord. Pray, pray, pray. So you recognize that person when you see them and they'll recognize you. They'll see the character in you. Number three, become a world-class decision maker. Now, parents, prepare yourself for this moment. One day your child is going to come to you and say, Dad, Mom, how will I know they're the right one? And if you're like the other knuckleheads in this culture, you're going to say, you'll just know. <laughs> you right? ever heard that before? Dumbest thing an intelligent person has ever said. Oh, baby, you'll feel it. You'll, you'll just know. You'll just know. Well, maybe you will just know if you've done everything else we've talked about here today. But here's what I want to encourage you to tell your kid. When they say, how will I know if they're the right one? Here's what I hope you'll say. Let's talk about the 10 most important things in your life. What are the 10 most important things in your life? Take the time to do this. Do this this afternoon, everybody. Write down the 10 most important things. Now there's 100 important things in your life. But just pick the top 10, okay? For me, committed to God. Deal breaker. I ain't dating anybody that's not committed to God. Not, not, well, maybe once or twice. Not over that. Uh, not ever now, by the way. But anyway. Uh, I was looking for somebody who's a loving person. I don't want to date any mean people. There's mean people out there. I don't want anything to do with them. Uh, obvious character, before I met them. Uh, they're experiencing healing. Now, when Sarah met me, you know what she met? She met a driven guy with an absentee father issue. Because my dad died when I was 11. I grew up in a single home. Great mom, no dad. She's got to deal with that. i got to deal with that. Her question's got to be, what are you doing? I see it. What are you doing about it? 
And if they're doing something about it, then they're healing, and that's good. Committed communicator, got to talk to have a great relationship. Totally committed to family, got to be there. Self-discipline, don't want any lazy people. High energy approach to life, work ethic, people who have got a, a dream for their life. Lifelong learner, somebody's going to continue to grow. And fun, got to be fun to be with, right? Now, these are just 10 things that I wrote down. You write down whatever the 10 top things are for you. Now, if you had to get rid of one of these and keep nine, you would know what the top nine things in your life are. And then if you got rid of another one and another one and another one and another one until literally you've only got two things left. These are the top two priorities of your life. And if you could only keep one, which one would you keep? And that is the highest priority of your life. Now, when you're looking for somebody that's going to be the one, you're going to share a lot of this right here. You're going to share a lot of this. Maybe not all, but you're going to share a lot of these top things. You're going to be on the same page on the most important things in your life. And friends, this is why God is so clear and so high in his expectations for who you marry. Now, you know, back in Jeremiah 29, God made a promise to the Jewish people. He said, it's not for us, it's for the Jewish people. He said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, God had a plan for the Jewish people to bring Jesus into the world. And he wanted to bless them in that process so that Jesus would come in as a, a, in the line of David and the Jewish people would be a light to the Gentiles. I mean, God had this awesome plan. And, and that's what he's talking about in this passage right here. But you know, God has a plan for you. And he loves you. And he has plans to bless you and prosper you, not harm you, but it's all dependent on your working his plan. You get on his plan instead of asking him to get on your plan. And friends, that's why you should approach this dating issue with courage and conviction and confidence that you have a father in heaven who loves you and wants the best for you. The Bible is so clear. Man, God wants your marriage to be the best. And that's why we date to find the love of somebody who will be on the same page with us. And I am praying that none of you will settle for less. Amen? Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to just mine this verse that creates so much consternation with so many people. And realize, Lord, that uh, this, this dating guideline is the same as everything else. Uh, you know, Lord, you put guardrails in place to keep us safe, to keep us on the path that leads to abundant life. And that's the same thing is true in relationships. And I just pray, God, that those of us who are single today and hope to be married someday will let your word form that search. We'll let your word inform us as we move forward. And I pray, God, that our relationship with you will help us to build such great trust in you that will affect every other relationship of our lives as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.